Good day everyone, my name is Dean Onyambu. I am the Head of Trading at First Capital Bank Zambia and welcome to the First Capital Bank Weekly Market Watch. So we're going to divide it into two areas. We're going to start with the global outlook as well as an update and then we're going to jump into the local update as well as an outlook. So top news globally, French elections, Emmanuel Macron and Marie Le Pen appeared headed for a runoff on the 24th of April. So Macron got around 27% of yesterday's vote. Marie Le Pen finished second with around 24%. Ahead of that um, runoff on the 24th of April, you've got a debate on the 20th of April. Key figures, the turnout was lower, around 4% lower from 2017, at around 73.8%. So this is the same runoff that we had as we did in 2017. But in 2017, remember, Le Pen's campaign was derailed by her debate performance. Interestingly, ahead of that debate, you know, current polling does have Macron at 54% and Le Pen at 46%, and that's narrowed significantly from around 60 to 40% about two months ago. So Macron has received backing from a number of candidates, Republican candidate Valérie Pécresse, Green leader Yannick Yadot, as well as um, pretty much, although Jean-Luc Mélenchon hasn't officially endorsed Macron, he has asked his voters not to vote for Le Pen. So if you combine those three, they got around 31% of Sunday's vote. Le Pen has only been endorsed by the far-right candidate Eric Zemmour, who polled around 7% of Sunday's vote. She does need left-wing voters to abstain in the runoff or actually vote for her. But, you know, it's interesting. Her protectionist stance on economic issues has resonated with voters who traditionally do back left-wing voters. She's really focused her campaign on inflation and cost of living, given the higher energy and food prices. If Macron does lose, he would be the first casualty of Russian President Vladimir Putin's larger war, which does aim at destabilizing US and European democracy. Remember, in November, we also have US midterm elections, where, you know, at the moment, Democrats do look like they're going to suffer major losses in the House and the Senate. In terms of a wider impact, Firstly, you know, amidst already elevated wealth inequality, Trumpism still appears to be alive, given the impact of inflation and cost of living, particularly for the economically disenfranchised. We are now starting to see more right-wing candidates who sit right of center on social issues, embracing left of center economic policies, such as higher fiscal deficits to provide social safety nets. Number two, amidst expectation for larger spending on transitions into cleaner energy, I think this will likely underscore a decade of elevated fiscal deficits that will at some point need to be monetized by central banks. As a result, across the developed world, we expect shorter monetary tightening cycles compared to previous cycles. Number three, debt monetization and supply chain changes and constraints will likely be a key feature of this next decade and we think this likely provides an, under an undercurrent for higher inflation throughout the decade moving on to stocks so last week stocks were mostly lower due to concerns of upside inflationary risks as well as the fed's minutes which signaled sharp interest rate hikes and balance rate reduction to curb inflationary pressures so if you look at the performance last week, your Asian stocks, your Nikkei was down 3.3% for the week, your Hang Seng was down 4%, your S&P ASX 200, that was down 0.38%. In terms of European stocks, your Euro stocks 50 was down 2.72% for the week, 
Your FTSE 100 surprised me. That was up 1.14% for the week. But your DAX, your German stocks, were down 2.1%, 2.19% for the week. U.S. stocks, Dow Jones down 0.28% last week. S&P 500 down 1.27% last week. As well as the Nasdaq, which is down 3.86% last week. At the start of the week, looking at stocks across Asia, Europe, and U.S., still appears that stocks across the board are generally weighed down by a hawkish Fed, uh, weighed down by disruption of commodity supply chains, which have been exacerbated by the escalation um, in between Russia and Ukraine, as well as concerns of a reduced growth expectations. But if you specifically focus on Chinese stocks, those appear to be weighed down by the COVID outbreak in mainland China, elevated factory gate prices, as well as regulatory concerns within the technology sector. Moving on to commodities, last week supply chain concerns continued to underpin mostly higher metal and agricultural commodity prices. That said, crude oil prices were specifically lower due to risks to demand from China's COVID lockdowns, particularly in Shanghai. Remember, China remains the world's top crude import, importer. So if you're looking at current prices and the performance over the last week, Brent crude slightly just above $100 a barrel, but for the week it was down 6.8%. WTI crude around $95.57 per barrel, that was down 7.5% last week. Golds up to $1,946.70 per ounce, gold is up 0.72% for the week. You know gold is a safe haven, which primarily does well in a low real interest rate environment. So. Real interest rates is basically your nominal interest rate minus inflation. So when inflation is high, then you've got a negative real interest rate environment or a low real interest rate environment, which is what we have at the moment. So this is the kind of environment that gold should do well in. The other thing is gold does provide a hedge against future hyperinflationary environments where your global issuance of debt supersedes the global growth. At the moment, consider that, you know, if you're looking at global debt to GDP, that's already above 300%. Copper, which is important for us, three-month LME copper, that was down 0.29% last week to $10,323.5 per metric ton. Soybean meal as well, which is important for us. Soybean meal international price up 2.99% on the, on the week to $468.90 per metric ton. If we're looking at currencies generally, what you're seeing across the board is that the dollar index continues to strengthen. So typically during global crisis, your dollar tends to be strong. But prior to this Russian-Ukraine escalation, the dollar was stronger predominantly due to an anticipated tightening from the US Federal Reserve. So if you're looking at the performance from around May 2021 to its current level of 99.837, the dollar index has actually been up 11.37% since May last year. So looking at current prices and the performance of the last week, if we focus on dollar rand, it's around 1462.50 at the start of this week. That's up 0.26%. Euro dollar, 1.0907 down 0.59%. So the euro has lost against the dollar. The pound also has lost against the dollar. If you look at cable, which is your pound dollar, 1.3019, that's down 0.74% on the week. Dollar yen, stronger dollar there, up 1.94%. Dollar yen is up to 125.18. Bitcoin, well, Bitcoin continues to perform more like a mainstream asset class, like stocks rather than an inflationary hedge, which is what it was supposed to be at the beginning. 
So Bitcoin down 8.59% on the week. Bitcoin down to $42,333.23. So moving on to the economic calendar. Last week, I think for most of the market, the key event was the release of the US Federal Reserve Minutes. In terms of key takeaways, number one, a significant number of officials concurred with the idea of a more aggressive approach to balance sheet reductions. So that's aggressive quantitative tightening. Number two, many participants noted that one or more 50 basis point increases in the target range could be appropriate at future meetings, particularly if inflation pressures remain elevated or intensified. So it does appear like we are well on board to a policy rate of around 2.75% to 3% at the end of this year. The other thing, which is the third thing, is that the Fed may begin reducing its balance sheet in May. So quantitatively uh, tightening could actually begin in May. There are currently two plans to reduce the balance sheet for the Fed. Number one is to cut down purchases by 60 billion in treasury yields and 35 billion in mortgage-backed securities every month. Number two is a gradual reduction. So the Fed would be looking to start with minor reductions and slowly increase the amount to its target over a period of three months or modestly longer if market conditions warrant. This week's on the economic calendar, well, earnings season kicks off. This is going to give us an insight into future growth and earnings expectations. So we've got reports by Citigroup, JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, among others. On Monday as well, we've got Chicago Fed President Charles Evans speaking, going to provide us some insight into the Fed. You also have European Union Foreign Ministers meeting and, you know, we should, we should consider that there's more Russia measures here on the cards. Tuesday, you've got the U.S. inflation figures. You've got the OPEC monthly oil market report. You've got um, the Fed Governor Lau Bernard speaking, as well as the Richmond Fed President Thomas Birkin speaking. Wednesday, you've got the EIA crude oil inventory report, as well as Chinese trade data. Thursday, you've got the ECB rate decision, as well as, importantly, U.S. retail sales data, as well as initial jobless claims. You also have the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment as well as speeches by the Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester and the Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker. Friday's Good Friday, so not a lot of economic activity in terms of events expected there. In terms of a global outlook, you know, we still expect uh, the GDP growth is going to remain subdued to the, due to the impact of upside inflationary risks, as well as the expected central bank hiking rate cycle across the globe. So. We still expect the IMF is going to further downgrade 2022 global growth expectations, probably to under 3.3% year-on-year from the 4.4% year-on-year forecast that they gave us in January. In terms of all this news and the impact on Zambia, well, you know, given the current Brent crude price, we now see a 13% upward adjustment at the end of April and a 4.2% downward adjustment at the end of May in terms of local fuel pump prices. Since your petroleum products are still effectively zero rated, should the 16% VAT be reintroduced, which we still anticipate at the end of June, based on where the current international oil prices, as well as the current dollar quatch exchange rate, local fuel pump prices could potentially be adjusted higher by at least 25.65% by end of June. International soybean meal prices, interesting dynamic here. So on an annual basis, your international soybean meal price in Kwacha is actually 7.8% lower. But then if you look at the prices from where we were at the end of December, your international soybean meal price in Kwacha terms is actually 19.93% higher. 
In terms of where we are from a central bank MPC perspective, remember you got that MPC meeting in May. We still expect the central bank to hike the policy rate, but we're seeing something develop on the dollar quatcher side. And we're gonna explain that a bit later. But what you're essentially seeing is a better outlook for the quarter against the dollar. And we think this is gonna provide the central bank with room to hike less aggressively than we previously anticipated. So from an expectation that we might see an aggregated 300 basis points hike for the rest of the year, we now have lowered that back to 150 basis points. Well, in terms of the impact on interest rates, notwithstanding or in spite of the increased domestic financing requirements, what we've tended to see on interest rates is that the elevated local quarter liquidity has really supported the T-bill auctions this year and to some extent the two-year and three-year primary bond auctions. That said, you know, for us, as long as the IMF and debt restructuring conversations and negotiations remain protracted, we still think that monetary policy tightening in conjunction with elevated domestic borrowing requirements is likely going to underpin limited downside for T-bill and bond yields. Moving on to locally, well, last week, in terms of the economic calendar, we had key, around four key events. First one was the release of the PMI. So that's the Purchasing Managers Index. Remember, that's a leading indicator for GDP growth. Uh, when it's about 50, it's contraction in private, it's uh, about 50, it's expansion in private sector activity. When it's below 50, it's contraction in private sector activity. So down to 49.6 in March from 50.3 in February and 49.9 in January. Importantly, new orders decreased for the first time in eight months on the back of declining customer demand and money shortages. Focusing specifically on that declining customer demand, we think that upside inflationary risks and elevated cost of living is going to continue to subdue the recovery in consumer demand. As a result, Unlike most of our other research peers out there, we are maintaining our 2022 GDP growth rate projection at 2.5% year on year. And if you want to compare that the Bank of Zambia does see GDP growth this year at around 3.5% year on year. So we are about 1% lower in terms of a projection. Also last week we had the T-bill auction. Summary there, yields 33 basis points low on average. The three months unchanged at 9.35%. But now you've got the six months at 11%, the nine months at 11.7%, and the 12 months at 13.28%. Also last week, we had Fitch releasing um, ratings for Zambia. They affirmed the foreign currency issuer rating at default. Remember, Zambia remains in default, and it's likely that that rating is going to remain in default until a successful conclusion of debt restructuring negotiations. Fitch also affirmed the local currency issuer rating at triple C. So... Outside of the domestic areas, Zambia does continue to service its local currency debt and it's unlikely that local currency debt will be part of the restructuring process. Lastly, in terms of economic events, we had the update of the targeted medium-term refinancing facility as at the end of March. And four things to note here. Number one, the BOS stimulus approved amount has reached the target of $10 billion. We don't anticipate that we're going to see um, more of that stimulus. So... Disbursement at the end of March amounts to around 9.6 billion. Um, so it's really just about 0.4 billion or 433 million that remains to be dispersed here. As at the end of December last year, 9.2 billion quacha had been dispersed. And you can compare that to only 3.3 billion which had been dispersed at the end of December 2020. So disbursement last year was around 5.9 billion. 
given that if you look at credit extension in Kwacha from the financial sector to the private sector, that increased to 44.7 billion at the end of December 2021, from 43 billion at the end of December 2020, which is basically an increment of 1.4 billion in 2021. For us, it implies that without that BOS stimulus support, or without this targeted medium-term refinancing facility, the displacements in 2021, credit extension or asset creation actually declined in 2021. So we expect the moderation in the recovery in private sector activity to continue to pose a challenge to local kwacha asset creation. We potentially think that this may support bidding interest from local banks into T-bills as well as two-year to three-year government bonds. As a result, while we do see limited downside for T-bill and bond yields, we also do not anticipate an aggressive move higher in yields up to the three-year bucket. We expect the local interest rate curve to steepen further. This week, there's no key events on the economic calendar within the country. Moving on to last week's FX and interest rates, we opened the week at 17.810, we closed the week at 17.525, so the quacha was strong against the dollar for the week. Your offshore dollar quacha rate closed at around 17.675. So the central bank did support the FX market last week with around $30 million. And we still expect the central bank to continue supporting the market amply as long as FX reserves remain around $3 billion, around or above $3 billion. So where are we in terms of FX reserves? Well, FX reserves at the end of Jan, they were around $2.88 billion, which represents around 4.6 months of input cover. That's up from December where we were around $2.77 billion, which is only around 4.4 months of input cover. But, you know, significantly since June 2020, when mining taxes were dollarized, your mining dollar collections into ZRA have averaged around $163.4 million a month. However, in provisional tax months like January, April, July, and October, those collections have averaged $196.3 million per month, compared to only $147 million per month in non-provisional tax months. So for us, we currently see the fair nominal effective exchange rate at around 17.25 and we see the wider trading range for the dollar quacha pair between 17.4 and 18.4. But interestingly, and this is a big one for us, on a risk reward basis, we think that over the next three months to July, we are more likely to test 17.4 on the downside than 18.4 on the top side. While offshore players remain better bid for spot FX and non-deliverable forwards, we see local demand slowing over the next few months. In spite of complicated and protracted IMF and debt restructuring negotiations, technically and fundamentally, we are seeing signs that the dollar quacha upside may potentially be contained over the next few months as a result of one, it appears that the central bank's regular intervention in recent months has reduced speculative dollar purchases as well as front-loading of dollar demand, for example, through forward dollar purchases. Number two, seasonality. We expect agricultural-related FX demand to reduce over the next few months post the April harvest before resuming again in earnest later in the year around August. And number three, linked to that PMI data, which is why it was a very key event. 
slowing economic activity. We think that elevated inflation is subduing the recovery in customer demand and may potentially be a key factor in reducing dollar demand in the FX market over the next few months. Moving on to bond yields, well, on the secondary market, bond yields on the secondary market were down around 162 basis points across two years to 15-year tenors, and now pretty much trading in line with the last primary market issuance yields. Finally, this week's outlook, well, we've opened at around 17.525. Your offshore dollar quarter price is somewhere around 17.7. Unless we see significant central bank intervention, that 17.4 does still provide some strong support on the downside. And this week, we don't think we'll break lower past that level. But remember, over the next few months, we favor a break of 17.4 on the downside over a break of 18.4 on the top side. So, in spite of the fact we don't think that 17.4 will be broken this week, the fact is local dollar demand has subsided for now. And unlike previous weeks, we don't expect that the offshore spot price being higher than the local spot price is going to significantly drag the onshore spot price higher. Given that April is a provisional tax month, I think it's important for us to say in these months we've seen mining tax collections average around $196 million. The central bank only really sold $30 million last week. So potentially they have up to another $160 million that they can use to intervene in the FX market should they choose to. For us, we think that even though we think 17.4 may not be broken this week and there is a bit of pressure to the top side, we still think that given the ample resources that the central bank has to intervene, that this also likely limits the upside for the dollar quarter pair in this week's trading. Well, that's this week in terms of a weekly update as well as a weekly roundup. Please do join us again next week when we cover the same. This is Dino Nyambu, Head of Trading at First Capital Zambia, and this is the FCB Market Watch for the week 11th April to 17th April. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.